day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diodora, brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 32, Alejandro Davidovich Volkina, and world number 25, Martina Trevisan. See them at Diodora.com. He was born in Moscow, Russia, and lived there until he was 12 years old before moving to the United States in 2006. He got to 20 in the world, and along with Murad Safin, helped carry Russia to Davis Cup glory. Most recently, he has distinguished himself as an elite coach on the WTA Tour, helping excel the careers of Irina Sabalenka, Annette Contevi, and in 2022 was with Emirat Akanu for the American Hardcore season, and we talked about it all. He joined me from Abu Dhabi, where he is coaching world number nine, Belinda Bencic. Dmitry Tursunov is today's guest. So now, what time is it in Abu Dhabi? Uh, it's 10, 10.30 in the morning. It's 10.30. Are you, you're, what's the name of the hotel you're at? Uh, Shangri-La. I'm living in the high life. Is it very nice? Is it beautiful? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, at, at this level, it's very rare that you get a really kind of a bad hotel or is it a seven-star uh, hotel in uh, Dubai? Probably not, but it's also a little better than Ramada Inn off of, uh, I don't know, Highway 60. <laughs> Gentlemen, you hear uh, in 2006, he got to 20 in the world. He was born in Moscow, but grew up in the United States. He has distinguished himself most recently as a Svengali-like coach on the WTA tour with, with Sabalenka, then Kantavit. He was with Radakanu for a minute. And right now he's on the bag with Belinda Bencic. And you guys had a good win yesterday. Yeah. And you're go you're in the quarterfinals now in Abu Dhabi. That's Dmitry Tursunov. Did I get that all right, Dmitry? Yeah. I, well, the name, yeah, you got right. Uh, I, was, I was just trying to figure out, like, a few minutes before we started the conversation, are we in semis or are we in quarters? So No, no, you're in quarters. I think you're right. I think it's you're quarters. You're in quarters, for sure. Uh, listen, my man, thank you for coming on the show. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we said hello to each other in Australia, and then we communicated. Mm-hmm. You were in Bratislava. And now you're in Abu Dhabi. I mean, this is incredible. The, the the tennis tour is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of traveling, a lot of uh, frequent flyer miles. As you know, we do a five set format. The first set is the off the court report. So you had a great you had a great moment in Adelaide, and then you lost. You guys lost to Sabalenka in the fourth round. Um, at the Australian Open, did you guys did you do a did you do a training block in Bratislava? Is that what happened? Yeah, she uh, she spends a lot of time there. Uh, even though she's Swiss, she's um, she's training in, in Bratislava, so um, that's that's where the base is at the moment. How do you gauge her quality right now? What kind of player is she at the moment? Is she playing top five in the world tennis? Well, I mean, I think the ranking is just a representation of um, of an overall, you know, throughout the year level. Um, I, I think on women's tour, quite often you see where a player performs really, really good and then kind of disappears for half a year or so. Um, I think like Muguruza is probably the, the kind of the 
best example of that right now. Um, so, yeah, the, the point is is that a player can play top five tennis, you know, today, but tomorrow, you know, it could be like top forty or top fifty. So, um, I think Belinda is being very consistent right now. I think she has the motivation, the drive. So, uh, she's definitely playing like one of the top players, but. I feel like as an overall player, yeah, she's definitely top 10 by far. Like, you know, I'm not, that's a very safe bet. Top five, I probably, you know, close. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. Like, I got to think off the, um, you know, who, I mean, obviously, Arenas and Rybakina, like, I feel like they're one of the top players right now, um, just in terms of their overall package and their overall development. And um, I feel like um, we have a bit of uh, catch up, catching up to do. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of hesitant in saying like, oh yeah, we're in our top five. Let's move into the second set. This is the on the court report. We've kind of already gotten there, but you know, you guys, you, your, your team came to Adelaide and Belinda was, was really lights out. I mean, she, she absolutely pistol whipped Casakina in the final there. Um, and I thought that her quality was quite good um, at the top of the Australian Open. And she ran into Sabalenka, who won the tournament. Um, what was your opinion of your time in Australia? What I think Belinda is doing well right now is she's, uh, she's introducing kind of stuff that we work on into the matches, even though she's more of a conservative type in that sense um she's still going out there and and you know she's kind of entering you know untreaded waters for her and 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 doing things that she doesn't really she she really has no sort of way of figuring out okay is this going to work or not so so there's a bit of trust uh, from her end uh, which is always great uh for for a coach to have you know because then you can implement things and you can use that trust bond to to say like okay well let's do this and and have the player try it even though they don't really they're not really sure but they, they're sort of trusting you that this is the right way can you give an example of things that you were trying to get her to put into her tool into her uh, tool belt um recognizing you know whether she's in offense and defense and then if she's in defense try to stay in that defense uh, in defensive situation and play defensively you know like uh, that happens a lot where a player can you know they don't they don't read the situation very well and so you know in defense they'll play offensively and offense they'll play defensively and um and so i felt like belinda's doing that pretty well um and the times when she didn't do that well it, again you're you're fighting against um a very deeply ingrained uh, mentality that's been sort of drummed into you for for a long period of time and to reprogram that takes a lot of conscious effort and 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 it's very difficult sometimes you know it's 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 like you know the auto, autopilot is uh, a very strong system to override so a lot of times when you try to when you try to do that, uh, you know, and, and kind of go in there consciously and then try to <laughs> overpower um, an unconscious mind, it's, it's very difficult to do. Um, yeah, so, so she's, she's, she's been, she, yeah, 
Yeah, she's so she's been she's been putting a lot of effort into doing that, and, and it's, I feel like it it's it's helping her. It, it it's opening her eyes to the possibilities. You know, she felt that she's one type of a player, and and I feel like uh, now she's seeing that she can do a lot more than she felt she could. It sounds like you you're feeling good about the partnership. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, she's allowing me to <laughs> help her improve, and uh, it's it's funny. To phrase it that way but a lot of times the players just you know they do hire a coach but they don't trust the coach or they don't want to listen to the, to the person and you know and then that partnership is never going to work uh, i mean you can hire roger federer but if you're not gonna if you're not gonna trust him or if you're not gonna implement what he's suggesting you know what's the point just watching her match today against marta kostiuk you know even the broadcaster leaf shiris he mentioned that he felt like Belinda's mentality seemed much calmer, much much more um, pointed, much more uh, just calm and cool. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, we've obviously discussed that. I, I felt like that, that was one of her biggest um, roadblocks. Um, but I think you also have to understand where it's coming from as a coach you know you can't just say like okay be calm because there's obviously a, a good reason why the person is not you know is in panic mode or or not being calm and so I, I think now there's a there's still a bit of frustration I mean she's a feisty player in the court uh, you know she obviously she's a perfectionist in some ways uh, um, but I think now the frustration at least is there you know for 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 known reasons not for unknown um, which sometimes it was in the past. Sometimes I feel like she is so talented, she's got too many options on the court. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I think... You um, can disagree. I just, when I watch her play and she's playing well, she reminds me of Martina Hingis. She, and, and I think a lot of people say that. She can take the ball early, she takes the ball on the rise, she hits a ferocious down the line backhand she can move the ball all around the court she's right on top of the baseline taking away a lot of players time and sometimes I wonder I can't believe that she could ever lose a match you're right I mean she she does you know she does uh, take the ball early she can do that um, she has uh, a very good timing she trained a lot in that way um, but also that's who, who Martina struggled against is big, big hitters, you know, because um, in some situations you just can't, you can't be in offense, in offensive position. Um, you know, when, when there's a, a cannonball coming at you, you got to be able to deflect that in some way. Um, and so I felt like that's what her weak side is. She, she wasn't deflecting very well. She wasn't, you know, she was trying to be offensive, uh, you know, she's kind of if the ball comes fast she's got to like hit it even faster back and and you know you, you still there's still physics involved and you can't go uh up to warp speed and and, and hope that the ball is going to go in yeah so i think just reading the situations a little better and 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 not only reading them because a lot of times you can read it but then okay well so 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 what so that i'm in defensive position but i don't know how to play out of it so not only reading it but but also understanding what to do out of those situations um, and that's, again, expanding her arsenal in a way, 
And when you're expanding the arsenal, of course, that's the problem is, you know, putting all these things together and knowing, okay, when to use what, um, that's the hardest thing to do for a player. Um, that's where they get lost a lot. And, you know, that's where you see drop shots from back, uh, you know, from, from baselines and, and, and um, you know, slap shots on the run and stuff like that uh, happens. Um, with players um so yeah so um she she is pretty versatile player and i feel like she could she could even improve that versatility but beyond improving that versatility she she has to really improve the understanding of when to do what and not second guess it um you know a lot of perfectionists tend to do that they like second guess because they don't want to make a mistake or they want to make it perfect and sometimes just perfect is not should not be in the vocabulary of a tennis player Masterclass with Dmitry Tursunov. Now, what was it like for you um, to play Sabalenka, to be in that box, in that, you know, in that in that heavyweight fight to, to really, you know, kind of see who's going to come through into that second week of that that big major at the top of the year and you're and you're her former coach. I mean, it wasn't um, it wasn't as difficult. Um, in, in the sense where everyone sort of assumes that it's going to be difficult. I, I mean, I don't have um, sure um, vengeance thing <laughs> about it. Uh, so, right. so in that sense. And you don't seem to be much of a drama. You don't seem to be very dramatic. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I can be dramatic and sometimes I am over dramatic. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very sentimental, I think, in a lot of ways. And, and you know, I have my, I have my, little uh, teary-eyed streak uh, but but not in that in that sense it wasn't it wasn't the case it was um, you know it was an opponent it was a very tough opponent I, I understand that that opponent is um, in some ways ahead of the pack uh, by a mile in some ways you know she's not but um, but again um, there wasn't as much emotional uh, kind of baggage uh, when when I watch Belinda play um, arena, so um, so you just said she's ahead of the field by a mile. Yeah. Why? Yeah, I think it's a pretty unique uh, combination of just incredible desire to to be the best, which you know you can already probably eliminate about you know ninety percent of the field. Um, you know, and then and then just physical ability, um, you know, and fitness wise, she's uh, she's been she's been working incredibly hard, and um, um, I think she's been working in an efficient manner. Um, a lot of times, players just do everything, and it, it it also comes down to who you work with, you know, you know, which direction you're you're moving in. I, I see a lot of players working super hard and having that desire to to improve but you know if you don't have the right people around you sometimes it takes you know you're going to be stumbling kind of like in the dark and you're going to hit a lot of uh, corners with your toes um, on the way to to the bathroom <laughs> so to speak so um um yeah i think that she's just she's had uh, you know a very very good situation very unique situation but uh but she's capitalized on it to the maximum i feel like you know she she you know you, you can have the right group of people around you but if you don't have that desire if you don't have that mindset it doesn't really get you anywhere so uh, again people are not going to be able to 
paid a ball for you. You're going to have to do that yourself. But um, so, yeah, so, I mean, absolute kudos to her and, on, you know, and her drive and her passion. It, it's just, it, it, things just kind of came together in such a perfect storm for her um, that, um, that I feel like, you know, there's very few people uh, that are, you know, they're on the same, on the same, uh, in the same position. You know, I feel like Rybakin is, is close, but fitness-wise, of course, she's not anywhere close to Arena. Not that she would have to be, but I feel like uh, that's what Rybakin could really kind of benefit from is, is that fitness. And, and that's what she started doing anyway. So I think that it's going to be very interesting to see how, um, you know, how she's going to be, you know, is she going to be able to catch up to Arena or not? Because they're already pretty, you know, pretty close to each other. Um, yeah, and then obviously, like now we're working with Belinda, we're trying to address a lot of these things and trying to kind of like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we catch up? Because, because we have to in some ways. With what you just said about Arena and Elena Rabakina really starting to outclass the rest of the players, how do you feel about the WTA and its its quality at the moment? Honestly, I feel like there's just a lot of players like, you know, that are not, they're not there. Some of them like Kerber and Halep, I feel like, like whether we like it or not, whether you want to take this as an insult or not, but objectively they're on their way out. They're not going to be able to sustain that level of play um, or that level of, um, you know, the game that the game style that they have is a, a very um, physically no, sure. They're yeah, on their they're physical. on their way. They're they're right. close so, to retirement. And, and sure. they're not gonna be able to compete um on a daily basis with, with big hitters, especially if those big hitters are actually starting to chill out a bit um on the court. So um in that sense, I feel like they're not a real danger to to the you know, the girls that played in the final. Um and and so they would have to modify their game heavily to 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 do something, but you know that's also very difficult to do at that age, you know, because it's so ingrained into you. And again, you know, who's going to come in and tell them that? And then if they're going to listen, you know, there's too many ifs about that. <laughs> I mean, someone like uh, Moguruza could have, you know, she has the physical capability of becoming a way more aggressive player, but again, you know, it's it's changing your mindset, and it's just again too many ifs. Um, so in that sense, the depth isn't very strong. I don't feel it. It's very strong. I mean, you know, you have maybe five, six players that are, you know, they're technically decent, uh, physically good, um, you know, psychologically, they're stable enough to, to compete. You know, there are a lot of these things, a lot of these components have to click together for a player to be sort of um a danger not for one tournament for many tournaments throughout the year but that's not to say that there isn't talent out there there's an incredible amount of talent um it's just that talent doesn't get developed uh for various reasons and and that's what's really upsetting because everyone turns this into a man woman thing and it's not you know it's it, it's it's very far from that it's just i i feel like on the men's tour you're forced to to improve, you're forced to by your own uh, um, competition. 
because if you go out and party hard or if you do something um, that's counterproductive to your career, you're going to pay for it pretty much immediately. I mean, there's very few players that can get away with it on men's store, much less than on women's store. And so that, I feel, is the real problem. Not uh, not because it's a man or a woman, because, you know, we have long hair or short hair, you know, any or Audi. This is as it, it but, it, you know, of, of course, there's enough people out there that are just, you know, they're trying to create a problem, you know, they're trying to make this into a battle of the sexes, which, you know, that's all, all the power to them. They have their own Twitter account, so they can, they can just, you know, type away. But, um, yeah, so that's, in that sense, I feel like that talent can be improved. And then if they're improved, I think it's, there's going to be a lot more, uh, it's going to be company, uh, exponential improvement because of that because now they're going to be pushing each other and they're going to be biting at their own heels and you know last year there wasn't too many people that were biting at Iga's heels you know so how can you improve how can you push yourself um you know Novak was a an incredible player in his own right but you just couldn't break through Novak or Roger or you know Andy Murray for for a bit um, and so he had to push himself even more and he's pushed himself to incredible length. And, um, and that's what makes him a super tough player to play now, because now all the other players have to reinvent themselves every single day in order to try and surpa- surpass them. The, the Rabakina Zabalenka final felt like such transcendent tennis that people seem to have already forgotten about Iga. But Ego was totally dominant for a huge chunk of, you know, last year. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for Ego, then maybe Arena wouldn't have made some improvements. Because, listen, if you're getting drummed uh, day in and day out, you can't lie to yourself all the time saying, like, okay, I'm good enough or, like, you know, it's just a bad day or this, you know. You're going to have to make the adjustments. And, and, and that's what I feel happens a lot more in men's tennis than in women's tennis. We can go into semantics of why that is, but it, for now, the most like to me, the most important component is that there is talent out there, but it's not it's it's being it's not being developed. And the one that it has been developed, you know, like you said, um, you know, Andreas Andreescu and uh, and Asaka and Barty, they're just they're not there. Like you know, Andreescu is obviously playing, but you know, she's climbing her way back out of it, and you know, and then that's that's their question to answer do they really want to climb out of there or do they are they comfortable where they are and 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 i feel like a lot of players are just comfortable where they are and that's why that's why there isn't much improvement let's move into the third set this is the portion of our show where we talk about your career now i know your story is, is that you were born in moscow but came to the United States early and and your tennis be, your your tennis began at a young young age is that true yeah um you know my dad was just passionate about tennis in general so i think he wanted my my brother to play and and so they would go to practice and and i would just i really kind of tagged along i didn't know i think at the time where i was getting myself into so um so i would supposedly i would just run after them crying like for them to take me with them and and I don't really remember much of it. I kind of remember certain like fragments here and there, but really kind of like that file was deleted for me. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think 
in that sense, my dad was super organized and, uh, you know, kind of he, you know, when I had breakfast, he would put some walnuts and some carrots and some cottage cheese, you know, and it's his way of kind of putting all the vitamins into my food. <laughs> That's so crazy. So, yeah, I mean, basically, I didn't like any of those concoctions because they were kind of forced on me. Uh, but um, cream of wheat like that still to this day, I just I cringe every time I see it. But um, I think everyone would be lucky to have their parents really give two shits about what they're putting into their body or during breakfast. Uh, yeah, I guess we can also overdo a little bit with the carrying. <laughs> Did you get good in the United States? Were you playing all the gringos? Were you playing all the Americans? Or were you, how did you get very good? I mean, I was already good in, in, in Russia. I was, um, for a while, I was number one. And then I remember there's a couple of players that I was losing to, or like I had a competition and I really didn't like them because I would get an ass whooping if I lost to them. I, um, I, I was still like top, top five when I came to U.S. when I was 12 and a half. What was the impetus for the move to the United States? Honestly, I don't really know. I think um, um, obviously my dad made that decision that it was better for my tennis. And, you know, everything was done just around my tennis. So, the, you know, if, if, if it meant for me to move to the moon um, to play better tennis, then I would have come <laughs> to the moon. He was, you know, just overly eager and you know pushed me a lot and and i don't remember enjoying it when i was leaving you know and then so for me it was already a profession it was work and I, I i mean i was struggling in that sense and so maybe he felt that you know you know he can't continue to do that anymore you know it's, it's not gonna end well and i i don't know like honestly i'm just it's a hypothesis so it sounds to me like you knew you were going to be a pro player from the time you were young. It's actually worse than that. It's it's not that I knew that I was going to be a player. It's like I didn't, there was no question that I was going to be anything else. And so it wasn't, it, it, I don't know, it's, I don't know if you ever wake up in the morning just knowing that you're not going to be anything other than, um, I don't know, a podcast uh, owner. <laughs> it's 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 kind of a, and i think it's a big difference because it's not like you choose that you sound damaged man when you talk about this you sound like this this messed you up mm. i don't know if that damaged me i think i was just i, I mean we're all damaged in a way but mm, i you know i'm i'm, I'm sure. talking about it openly like and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to be a victim i mean i and i can be if i want to i mean there's a, there's enough shit in my life to to where i can turn around and say like listen i'm a victim of this i'm a victim of that and ultimately you know now i have a choice of how i approach this and do i want to do i want to be a victim do i want to be something different do i want to use that uh, maybe negative experience to help other people you know, I, I, listen. If you gave me, uh, if you gave me an uh, opportunity to go back and and actually rewrite my own history and, and and actually like be there and tell my dad like, well, don't do this because this is what's gonna happen. I don't know what I would change because, you know, it's like a butterfly effect. You know, at which point do you make a change because you don't know where that change is leading to? How did you turn pro? When when how does that happen for you? 
Well, like I said, I think I turned pro when I was probably 10 or 12. Uh, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I moved to U.S. Um, my dad came with me for a month. And then, you know, um, I stayed and he went back. And then I just kept playing. I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't really want to go back. Um, so that was a good motivation for me to play better. Because if I played better and if I improved, I would have... Uh, I would have stayed in, you know, in U.S. and, you know, just my lifestyle would be the same that it was. So, yeah, just kind of, I don't know, kind of bumped my way through. I mean, obviously, uh, Vitaly was with me for a very long time until I, up to, I think, when I started working with Jose Higueras. Um, that was, I, I don't even remember how old I was, maybe 18. I mean, Jose Higueras... He's one of the elite coaches in the United in the USTA, but I mean, he's one of the elite coaches in the world. Um, were, were you identified by the USTA? Is that how that happened? No, I, I was working with him privately, so it wasn't through USTA. Privately, yeah. Did he help you get better? I mean, I was a bit like Arena as a player, as a young player, and and um, so he definitely toned me down. You know, there's a lot of work on kind of movement and. And I mean, he's basically a conservative style player who, you know, I think I heard from him, you know, that's too ambitious, pretty much like every second shot at the beginning. You had incredible racket head speed. So is that kind of what he tried to dial back was just like kind of your, your like natural aggression? Um, I think I was just, um, I, I mean, I wasn't, I was never like the percentage type player i was just kind of swinging at everything that came my way and and um he wouldn't say that's a stupid shot or like you're an idiot he would say yeah jimmy i think this is too ambitious you know like and and he would say that quite often so my guess is that i was just probably overly aggressive who were you in 2006 when you got to 20 I felt like i was confident in myself i was healthy for 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 a period didn't really ask myself a question like what if I'm bad <laughs> you know kind of like a, so I think that you know that if anything if I, if I remember anything it's probably just that kind of feeling did you like being a pro player did you like being on the tour it's an interesting question because I, I wish I could answer it just say yes or no but uh, I think I like the tour life because <laughs> Honestly, right now, if I'm at home for like two days, I like honestly I don't know what to do with myself. Like I, I, I you know, like I don't have a reason to wake up anymore, and um, and so in that sense, I think I never really developed uh, hobbies. Um, I mean, I I do have passions. Like I, I love cars. I love design, and you know, I would love to, you know, restore old cars or restore old buildings, whatever it is. Like, and I think it goes in line with coaching where you basically take something and you try to make it better and you try to figure out, okay, how can I make this look as best as possible? And I'm passionate about doing good work and, and I'm doing good work in tennis. So I think I'm torn in that sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know what my true life calling is, but I feel like my true life calling of coaching is actually i have more passion about coaching than about playing and so that's why i'm, I'm kind of hesitant to say like yeah i was i, I love being a pro player because 
I don't know. I, I started enjoying it way more though when I started learning. When I uh, when I started enjoying learning and improving. When it was when I was just winning or losing, that wasn't very enjoyable for me. And how did Karatsev come into your circle? I was still playing, and um, you know I met Karatsev through um, um, Alexander. You know, Kuprin doesn't really tell you much, but um, he was he was the one who had this you know dream and passion of 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 you know he saw he believed in in Aslan you know from the beginning when he started working with him and so he was just basically traveling with him and basically like a mother goose with his with Aslan being the egg you know traveling everywhere and he came up to me at Kremlin Cup and he said like please like please like you have to look at this guy you know he's really talented and just kind of wanted you to like you know to hear your opinion so we ended up hitting and I said like yeah like, listen this guy's super smooth really good like you know he moves well it's kind of like a cat you know ball is heavy coming off the racket you know but he doesn't he, he looks like he makes it pretty effortless he's not swinging super hard but the ball is just super heavy um and then we started kind of staying in touch and ended up um took him to uh preseason with me and and that's why i think the video on youtube is from is like when we're practicing and you know i'm just kind of helping him and then i i I was catching myself that I like during the practice I'm actually more focused on helping him than I'm focused on practicing myself. So in that sense, kind of yeah, I felt like the passion was to help someone else more than to help me at that point because it's my preseason, it's my practice, but I'm spending more energy on helping Aslan than I'm helping myself. I think I kind of had the passion, the passion somewhere like deep inside, but it just it started coming out more and more, and I was a little bit more aware of it. And then in 2017, when I was trying to play, and like I didn't have anyone to hit with, so I, you know, I saw Visnina was practicing, and I was like, hey, you know, like, do you mind if we hit? And so we decided to hit, and again, the same shit happened. You know, like I'm instead of practicing, I'm telling her a couple of things. And so I think she kind of, she's like, oh, kind of like some of those things that you said. Would you want to travel with me? you know, as a coach and, and I was like, no, no, I'm still playing. And, um, I was like, but you know, like I'll, I'll let you know if something happens, but, um, you know, and then I kept playing in 2017 and, you know, I, I used up all my, um, protecteds and then I went to play challengers and, and I knew that like, listen, to get back to top hundred, like I need to win maybe three, four, five challengers. And, and to do that, like, I can't do it throughout the year. I have to do it, you know, in a fairly short period of time you know maybe three four months max um because then you know i don't want to be in the red financially too much like i don't want to spend more than i'm making and um and so i knew that okay i'm gonna make money only if i'm top 100 and um and so i needed to break through quick relatively quick um, i don't want to be playing challengers it's not my passion it's um uh, so it has to make financial sense um, and, um, and I'm not willing to sponsor myself in a way, like, uh, because, you know, listen, I've, I've been top hundred. Like I, I know, like I'm okay with being in top hundred and playing ATP tournaments and trying to break through, but playing, you know, three, 400, being four, three, 400 throughout the year and, and just traveling around for the life at, you know, 34, 35 years old, like it's, to me, that was pointless. You know, I'm not Gail Falkenberg, basically. 
Um, and so um, <laughs> it just kept getting injured. You know, shit just would pop up. Like, you know, if it wasn't one thing, it was another thing. And then and I was like, okay, fuck this. You know, like, just, it doesn't make sense anymore. Did you get a deal done with Vesnina? Is that how that began? No, so I, ca I called her and I said, like, listen, I'm, I'm the next couple of months I'm available. And then what I actually, what I wanted to do, I and, and what I was trying to do, I said, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do fitness. I'm gonna still train, and then I'm gonna, you know, travel with her for, because she offered to go to Australian Open Swing. I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'll train and, and I'll keep doing my stuff and then I'll, I'll work with her. And so in Australian Open, I was still kind of doing, you know, training in the gym. And, and, and then I kind of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying the coaching aspect. Um, and it's not getting the physically physical part for me is not getting much better. And so I, I found something that, that I actually somewhat enjoy doing. Um, so I think that that kind of initiated my decline and trying to get back into on tour. Well, that retired you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Like you couldn't get healthy and you were enjoying coaching. Right. Yeah. And in, in a nutshell, yes. That happened to Brad Gilbert. That seems like that's happened pretty organically to a few of you guys. I, I think I, uh, yeah, Brad was actually still playing himself. So it wasn't, for me, it wasn't as extreme. I, I honestly don't know how he managed to do it because um, I think like a coaching day. Well, I think his ranking was dropping. You know, he started losing to guys he normally wouldn't lose to. And then, you know, they, they got a deal done with Andre and the rest was history, yeah, right? But the, the point is, is that, you know, because uh, I think like right now when I'm coaching, you know, uh, my day is is not super open. It's not like I coach for two hours and then I go and I, you know, sit in a, sit in the tent and smoke shisha and, you know, just enjoy life. Uh, you know, you, you, you work on the court um, and then you sometimes go watch a match or, you know, it's, it's just kind of time slips through your fingers here and there. After two hours of coaching mentally, it's, you're so drained, like, you know, and then all of a sudden you have to go and practice yourself. Um, I, I don't know how he did it. How did how did Sabalenka um, and you link up? She had someone um, uh, that was helping her, and so you know we connected that way. I mean, I I knew her, I saw her because she played against Vesnina in doubles. I remember the time when they played doubles. Her and Azarenka played against Vesnina and Makarova. You know, they were going right at her when she was at the net, and she just kind of kept reflex volleying and you know as and walking kind of stepping backwards and then you know she fell in her ass and she was giggling and i mean she was a very bubbly good or good aura around her you know like she i mean you know how she is is you know she's always laughing and and so yeah so that's kind of the first first time where i where i saw her so yeah i mean i knew who she was and i was kind of happy to start working with her how did you help her get better I don't know, put like <laughs> my heart and soul into everything. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that when you, you know, when you put everything you have into it and you're actually good at what you're doing, I think it, and on top of that, of course, you know, she's incredibly talented as well. Like, you know, and then of course that gives results. Why did, um, why did you split? You know, 
I honestly don't. I mean, I know why we split. Like, okay, we had some fights, and I think it was a bit of a battle of the egos uh, in, at that moment. But the true, honest reason, I don't know. I honestly don't. It's um, Romeo and Juliet. Like, why did both die? It's like, well, we know why. Because, you know, one person thought the other one's dead, so they fucking killed themselves. But then the other one woke up and it's like, oh, shit, the other one's dead. So that one kills himself. So we, we understand the mechanic, like the, you know, the step-by-step process. But, but what initiated the whole thing is, is, is kind of beyond this, um, you know, at least beyond me. Um, I would be lying if I'd say, like, I didn't care about it to this day. And who fired who? Did she fire you, or did did you fire her? Uh, no, no, I got fired. I would have never fired myself. I would have never fired her. Uh, but you never would have fired her. No, I would have never. I mean, I would have never walked away. I like, I listen. I like, I walked off the practices. I walked off, but you know, there there was a good reason for that. But I, I would have never left. Did she fire you personally, or did someone send you uh somebody call you? No, 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 personally, <laughs> personally, <laughs> personally. Yeah, I mean it was, a, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, but I uh, like listen. Though that's one good thing that I like. At least I can look back. I say like, listen, I've done everything I could, and like, okay, I've done some stupid shit, you know, from my end, you know. But we all do, like, you know, like in any relationship, you you always mess up and. You know, you mess up with the best of intentions or, you know, you mess up because you don't know any better or because you misread the situation. So in that sense, um, I can I can take a lot of uh, credit <laughs> for for the problems. But uh, but I, you know, just no, I, I wouldn't have had the heart to walk away. I always I, I threatened, <laughs> but but I think. Uh, Pretty early on, she recognized, like, hey, no bullshit. <laughs> you know, he's old talk, but no action in that sense. I, I, I was a softie in that sense. Is your relationship now acrimonious? Do you say hello to each other, or do you just, like, uh, take a phone call when you see each other in the player's lounge? Uh, <laughs> I can speak only on my behalf. Um, for me, it's super uncomfortable because I put everything I had into it. And I never, never felt like, I never actually believed, sorry, I never believed that we would ever split up. And, um, and so I think that's what makes it a little bit more uncomfortable and difficult. Two U.S. Opens ago, you picked up Annette Contevit. How'd that happen? After I stopped with um, uh, Sabalenka. So, you know, I didn't have any real offers with any player. Which, you know, is kind of funny because everyone thinks that, you know, everyone's just going to start, you know, like my phone is ringing nonstop and I'm just refusing everyone. But um really didn't happen that way. I, I didn't have any real offers. I mean, I had like a couple offers. Uh, well, I shouldn't. One was an offer like for one week, you know, to train, to prepare a player for for Wimbledon on hard courts. Whose bad idea was that? Was that the agent's idea or the player's idea? I'm not sure. It's, uh, I mean, it was, I wasn't talking to the player, but that's how the offer was kind of phrased. And, and I, I, th- I felt like that was not a serious offer. It's, it's, uh, 
I can say it's insulting without feeling insulted by it, I guess. Um, sure. Because I think it just it just shows a, the player's mindset like, hey, you know, in one week we can get ready or like, you know, I don't want to overpay too much or like I don't want to I don't want to invest too much into this. And um, and yeah, so that that just didn't seem right on just a ton of different levels. So yeah, so after about you know a year, um, actually um, um, a company, Orange Coach. Uh, For our listeners, Orange Coach, that is Sven Gronefeld, correct? Yeah, I think he's uh, he's co co owner. Sven Gronefeld, one of the most um, prolific coaches on the WTA tour. He most recently was with Bianca Andrescu, but he's been around for a million years and he has a consulting company called Orange Coach. Sorry, continue. They contacted me on uh, because they were sort of in charge of finding a coach for Annette. You know, so they basically talked to me, asked me if I wanted to work and I said, yes, of course. I'd love to. <laughs> I'm, fucking, I'm fucking without a job. You shut it down after after the Sabalenka partnership ended. Yeah. So you take Contevi, the deal gets brokered from Orange Coach and you, got, and you went on one of the great tears. What did you do to get her you know, to become a top 10 player? How do you get a player who's 30 in the world into the top 10 in four months? She didn't have some, she didn't have bad losses. I mean, she lost like to Sakari a bunch of times. Sakari was already top 10. You know, she lost to Stepanko on grass. Um, um, but so, yeah, so Annette was, I think, just a little bit kind of confused. Okay, what do I do next? Like, okay, I'm playing all these good matches, like, but, but I'm not just not getting, I'm not getting the wins. We're, I think tennis players in general are super unsure of themselves. They're just clearing that up a bit, kind of showing her, okay, where where she's losing some of these matches and having her start understanding what is going on. You know, not just react to what's happening, but actually be able to understand, okay, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. So just connecting these things a bit more in her head and improving the things that she wasn't doing quite well you know she wasn't defending as well as she could you know i think annette was just all in all was ready to face the face her demons and and i was just helping her with that what happened that you're not doing that anymore why'd you guys break up you had such great success and then it was over that is a question for her i i didn't make that decision she she felt there's a bit of instability in uh, in my traveling so she wanted something different what do you mean instability in your traveling what do you mean well she cited that you know i have a visa issue so she didn't feel like secure or stable in that sense uh, she didn't know if i'm going to be coming to a tournament or not so what happened with radicanu seems like you guys never really started it was quick in quick out I mean, I actually, I felt like, you know, she she was making pretty good progress. I um, I don't know if it was visible or not visible, but I felt like she played more aggressive. I felt like she's playing a little more disciplined. When did you start with? When did you start with Emma? 
We started one week before Washington. So you were you you went in the, the hardcore summer. You started in the hardcore yeah. summer. Yeah, and then we we stopped after Ostrava. But you thought she was playing better. I thought, um, yeah. I mean, um, that's my opinion. Um, but what what the pundits think is different from my end. I felt she she's playing more aggressive. She's she's using the whole court better. Um, she was playing better patterns. So in that sense, I felt like there was an improvement in her game, which is also, again, it comes down to how much the player is willing to get out of their comfort zone. You know, comfort zone meaning, okay, they don't, they don't feel like this is what is natural to them or what they should be doing, but they're doing it anyways because the their comfort zone is becoming so um repulsive to them that they don't want to they don't want to be there any longer so they're willing to do anything different to just not be in the same situation anymore what was that relationship like how was working with her um i mean i, I was super happy with her I, I felt like you know it's it's kind of it's weird because i, I completely take out of context the the slam win i don't look at that you know it, it just happened but she, you know, she's super young. She's, you know, like when you watch these, like how these planets were formed, like, you know, the, all these storms are, and like just these like fluctuations in temperatures. And it's like, you know, there's just so much turbulence. And so I feel like that's what she has a bit um, in her, kind of in her game and her mind. And, you know, she's super young, but she's very demanding of herself and she pushes herself a lot. You know, she's super tough on herself but to me i felt like she's an incredible kind of intelligent person when you talk to her you just forget that she's you know she's 19 and 20 and and so in that sense uh i really enjoyed every second of it um um and she's fanatical like she loves tennis she wants to improve and she gets a lot of bad rap uh, is that is that is hard. that inaccurate is she a hard worker I mean, with me, she was. Sooner or later, she's just gonna sort it out. She's too smart of a person not to sort out, you know. And, and she loves tennis too much not to figure it out. It's just a question of how long it's gonna take her, and how difficult the road is going to be, you know. But but I think she's she's the person who is willing to go a bumpy road. She's definitely, you know, she's pretty petite, pretty small, so. It's gonna to be tough for her to play against, you know, but those as Sabalenka, Samsonovas, you know, these girls can you know, she can be a <laughs> smart all she wants to, but if these girls they hit one, two shots, you know, physically she can't cover um, the court, you know, or she can't put the ball back or you know, she's gonna struggle. So she needs to develop her game, I feel, to be more more all around. She needs to develop these weapons uh, that are not super powerful you know so she's at a bit of a disadvantage and to develop that it takes more time and that's the question is is she going to allow that time to you know for some for some of those changes to occur because like i said you know if, if the road is too long then you might just abandon it halfway thinking that you're not going to get there and you know does she have the patience to go through through that road and you know, is she gonna have 
right people around her to help her navigate uh, those roads to get we've heard that the dad is a pain in the ass that the dad is a problem is that true obviously i can't comment on what happens between closed doors because i i don't know you know i can only see what what i can see and so if something is not shown to me then i can only speculate and i don't like to speculate so i think that is kind of he's definitely involved in her tennis he definitely wants what's best for her there are certain relationships between player and a coach which are very unique but where the coach is is in the driver's seat in a lot of relationships the coach is more of a passenger and i'm pretty sure you'll see a lot of these um a lot of these setups around the tour which is they're actually more dominant now where the coach is basically like a plumber he only comes in to fix something it's not a yeah he's setting up the practices and getting the racket strung yeah it's it's more like um like a caddy capacity but even caddy like caddies are super important right like yes, they are if, if the player trusts the caddy but um i feel like but basically the coaches in tennis and in golf are probably like one of the only sports where the where they're the employees they're not the employers and so you have a completely different dynamic and you have sometimes absolutely inadequate uh decision making from the player perspective right because they're like can be 19 18 20 22 um, and they they live like in a bubble life, so they make sometimes decisions that are not very analytical or thought through, and they hire and fire. They please, um, you know, a lot of times emotionally. And I I like to think of a coach as a partner in a business, where let's say you're the owner of the business, you don't know how to run it, but you hire someone who knows how to run it, and then together you guys are building as a lot of the Instagram like to say you build an empire together <laughs> you know it's very the uh tower of tersonoff man um but i was told you were a pretty heavy cat <laughs> you're heavy yeah now why did that relationship end <laughs> and who ended it i i stopped the negotiations i felt like negotiations went too long too far there wasn't a solid commitment not on the terms that I'd like You're talking to about a financial commitment or uh like a, a contract we were we started to negotiate over things that were so trivial and insignificant in my mind that it didn't it, it wouldn't have worked I, I didn't feel I didn't feel secure in that what's I didn't an example like, of something that you thought that 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 comes under the contract that made you uncomfortable made you pull out you know when you're discussing something insignificant to the overall outcome of the business like you're discussing what color pencil sharpener should be then i didn't feel like it's it's a serious setup i didn't feel like it's going to be a long-term relationship i felt like it could at any point break over something insignificant and and i could have been wrong maybe i had a ptsd you know from the previous relationships but but i felt like i've put in enough uh, i put enough uh of myself on the line to prove myself in the past where i you know i i would sacrifice my own security my own sort of well-being um in order to prove that i'm good enough and i didn't want to do it again i i feel like um i'm a good choice 
And if the other side doesn't feel like, or if they're not sure, if they keep asking like, well, you got to prove yourself a little bit more here, a little bit more there. Well, we're not just, you know, and if, if their decision-making kind of makes you feel like they're not sure of your level, then, you know, Emma's great. Like no freaking questions, you know, I'm, you know, but I don't, I don't want to wake up every morning and thinking like, shit, do I have to prove myself again today? Or like, or, you know, or everyone trusts me and we're just working towards, towards a great goal. So, yeah, I don't know if that kind of clarifies it a little more or not. <laughs> uh, how good can Belinda Bencic get? She seems to be one of the greater players on the WTA tour that has not won a major. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the major isn't that major. Like, it's not that different for girls. <clears throat> I mean, it's just a couple extra matches. Really, it's like it's no, it's no bigger than, um, than let's say Dubai is going to be, or you can have all the best players, or like Indian Wells, like Indian Wells and and Slam is just one round difference. So how is it different? It's just in their mindset, you know. It's like they they think like, oh my god, you know, all these expectations. Everyone's expecting I did this and I didn't do this. So there's just too much bullshit around about uh, around the slam um in just in the mind uh so and i think the fact that you know sometimes you can have uh you know emma or sonia kanin or you know sometimes like you know here and there like people pop out and and win it like you know stepanko um you know but even Halep, like she didn't win that many slams right like so she's not I mean, and she's considered like a great player, but she didn't win like twelve of them. Um, you know, Muguruza won like what two or three. Um, so there's a lot of players who are like multiple great Slam winners, but they're not, they're not Serena's, they're not dominating tour. You know, so I think, I mean, I think I think she can totally win it, but again, to win it, she has to beat the players that are in her way, and so whether she, you know, if she can beat them in the smaller events. And in this medium-sized events, then you know, okay, then she's ready. Um, so I don't really focus on like, okay, we gotta win the slam at all costs. I'm just saying, okay, let's let's improve so you can beat these players. You know, like so you can beat them on a consistent basis. You know, so that you don't feel like, oh my god, today I got lucky because you know she didn't care about it. Um, and you know, that did you actually have the tools to beat all these players? And then. Once you have that tool set, you're just going to be more equipped to deal with, with everything else. And then, okay, when there is a bit more pressure, okay, you'll be able to, you'll be able to sort it out and and, and improvise on, on the run. But at least you're not going to have that thought in the back of your mind, it's like saying like, "Fuck, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to beat this player. Like, I just, I'm not good enough." So first, she has to feel like she's good enough to beat anyone out there. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the ten ball scramble. I say it, and you say what comes in your mind. You ready? All right. I'll try. Your favorite tournament. Rome. Your favorite city. Rome. <laughs> Rome. Your fa- I love Rome, too. I love Rome, too. I'm actually undefeated on Piatranjali. I'm 1-0. Uh, your favorite player growing up. Didn't have one. I didn't, I didn't watch tennis. Your favorite player now. Is there someone you love to watch play? 
Mm. I don't know. I like Monfils. I mean, but I like he's a bit of an artist. I mean, he's not not like he's the greatest player, but he's just yeah, he just enjoys it. He's like a freaking giant puppy chasing a chasing a stick out there. Medical timeouts. Oh, what about them? You tell me. This is a ten ball scramble. Oh, I just say it. Oh, that means that the player lost the first set. Oh no, sorry, Me- medical. Uh, sorry, that's toilet. Uh, toilet breaks. <laughs> uh, medical timeouts. Um, um, I, I think you just answered it. Yeah, I mean, TUEs, TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions. Uh, convenience. <laughs> Coaching. Coaching. Babysitting. <laughs> Analytics. Um, and the way that it's being sold by analysts, it's overrated. Do you use them? I do, but um, not to the extent that they think it's necessary. And yeah, it's you still have to read it. It's analytics is like uh, statistics. You know, it can be. It's like a. I think there's a saying in Russian like statistics is a prostitute. You know, it's like you can you can swing it any way you want to. It just but you have to you have to put it in context basically and and so very rarely it gets put into it big entourage or lean and mean uh lean and mean your favorite racket um i didn't play with that many so i can't say i must say yonix is a very good racket i like them but but there's uh, so many good rackets. I mean, Wilson is good. Uh, it's just, yeah. Which racket did you play your best tennis with? What was your favorite racket? I mean, I played with head up to a certain point, then I switched to Wilson. But honestly, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you can adjust quite easily to the racket. It's like the racket it does not make much. It, it makes difference, but but not like, you know, a lot of people think like there's a one racket that they're going to pick up and they all of a sudden put everything in the court and it's not the case. And um, and I think off the shelf, Yonex is a very good racket. Um, if you like head heavy, then I think Wilson and, and head speed is pretty good. Uh, Babolats are you know, the white one is, is pretty awesome, but it's a little too light for me. But I think like, you know, for like an average person, if they pick up a white Babolat, it's pretty safe bet. Like they're going to be able to put a good ball in the court. What size grip do you play with? Uh, for me, I use a pretty small one. So I was like using a three, but it's a little with a very thin uh, leather. So it was almost like, yeah, basically as close to maybe like let's say two and three quarters almost and how do you how do you string your racket i used to string it much tighter and as i got older i started stringing it less um less tight so softer when you were on the pro tour who would you get confused with uh mark knowles and dennis Systemin. <laughs> okay i times i was talking to mark a little bit before we uh before we got on it, he said, "Ask." He said, "Ask him who yeah, he gets he, confused he, with." Um, <laughs> he had a great story. Like he showed up in Spain, in Barcelona, and so I think he's walking like with his wife up the stairs, like to the club, and it's kind of in the city, so like 
people, you know, people are close by. It's not like closed off. And a couple of, I don't remember his boys or girls were asking him like, hey, how, how do you feel today? And he's like, oh, I'm fine. He's like, why? What's up? He's like, oh, there's no fucking way, bro. You were so fucked last night. Uh, <laughs> and he just arrived to Barcelona. Yeah. Oh, because they, well, they, they thought, thought that you that played. Me and they so thought I, that he I played. Guess, uh, even though I've never been like fully drunk, but uh, I guess like we went out with uh, Sergio Bergueiro and I don't know. I mean, I had like a few drinks, but not nothing like super serious. Um, and uh, yeah, so anyway, so he he got in trouble like right in front of his wife. <laughs> That's tremendous. Uh, let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis for a day and make a change in the sport with just a swing of the racket, with no aggravation, what would you do? What would it be? To the game or to kind of to the setup? That's a, that's a, that's you. You can answer it however you want, my man. Okay. Um, I think I would probably allow more emotion. I wouldn't penalize players for something human. It's kind of weird how uh, UFC, right? Like it's just—I mean, it's basically just two guys like beating the crap out of each other, and and somehow because it's kind of regulated or with rules or some sort of a, you know, they put some sort of you know sponsorships around it. Like all of a sudden, it makes it legal, but it's basically violence, and people feed off of that. They love it. Um, but in tennis, I feel like it's they're trying to neuter um, the emotions um, out of the sport. They say that it's great, you know, like to have umpires make mistakes because there's a human element, but then they take out the human element out of the player's behavior. You know, you can't, uh, I mean, what's the problem if the player is throwing a middle finger to the crowd? I mean, it's, it looks bad, right? Like if the whole crowd's like, starts booing and and but shit but you just got the crowd emotionally involved in it um you got them to hate someone and and to feel something versus you know you can't fart on the stands you can't open a bag of chips you can't sneeze you can't do this you can't throw a racket you know you hit the ball out of the stadium most of them, you know it's a warning or a point penalty so you know i think players are afraid to show their personalities they're afraid to say their mind because nowadays anything you say can be twisted and you know you say that i played great today someone's going to say oh he sounds cocky like he's putting his opponent down so people are players just in general they're, they're just afraid to be themselves it's hard i mean that's why i think nick kyrgios sells out every every freaking stadium that he plays in because he he's been he hasn't been neutered enough um you know and he's been fine enough but he's he doesn't mind it i mean it's a pretty strong personality if you ask me hey man this was a pleasure um i uh truly appreciate you know you you did not have to come on the show you did not have to answer the pointed questions. Thank you very much. Good luck. Uh, the remainder of this Abu Dhabi tournament, I guess we'll see each yes, other in yes, Indian so we'll, Wells in a couple um, weeks. And yeah, because you promised me that, uh, hugging does the ice cream bucket for the interview. So, I mean, you obviously didn't tell that to your listeners, did you? <laughs>
my man you definitely got that yep. ice cream all right um yeah so we'll we'll see you in a couple weeks yep sounds good we'll see you in the u.s dimitri tersonov you are released <laughs> thank you thanks huge thank you to dimitri tersonov thank you to diodora see them at diodora.com megan fernandez edited the show our music is by brian senti we'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport Until then, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.